What's up, everyone? My name is Jed, and you are listening to the Talking Records Podcast, an album deep dive show where we take an album that we really love and round up every bit of information on it that we can. It all goes here for a look behind or beyond the music. I'm just a huge fan of music, and knowing the context, the stories, the bits of trivia adds to my enjoyment of the album. I hope you agree. Today, I am joined by Ben. How's it going, Ben? Hey, Jed. How's it going, man? It's good to be here. Welcome to the podcast. I was on your podcast not long ago, The Deep End with Ben, where you explore music genres. And I had a blast talking skate punk with you, man. (laughs) Yeah, man. That was really fun. I'm really, really excited uh, to be here, though. You know, a big uh, part of starting my podcast was during quarantine, during like, the real shutdown of quarantine, I think I listened to like the first like 30 episodes of Talking Records. <laughs> nice. Eventually, I was at the point where like, damn, I should do this myself. So definitely uh, a big reason I started making mine was because of Talking Records. Oh, man, that's awesome. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, of course, man. That's really great. I love it when I hear that people start up projects, you know, whether it be making music or podcasts or writing a, like a book or something. It's always great when I hear about like people creating. Yeah. And it's nice to know that I had a part in it. Thank you. Yeah, of course. <laughs> I'm honored to be here. And I like on your show how you just kind of, you take a genre though, and you kind of dive into the genre. You talk about the bands, you talk about the music, but tell us a little bit more. I mean, it's more than that. Tell us about your podcast. On a lot of ways, it, it is diving into the genre, but it's more of a, you know, I started having guests on after the first couple episodes. The first couple episodes were just kind of me being like, what the hell? Let's figure something out. <laughs> and then people liked it. So I started making I started making some more and I started having guests on. Um, started with just like my friends being guests. And then I got, I think my first big, bigger guest was Adam Davis from Link 80 and Omnigon. Nice, and like, nice. you know, having people like him on are like, it's really awesome that I know him from like the scene and um, awesome mm. to be able to actually just sit and have a hour long conversation. And I think part of it is just seeing where that conversation can go. Cause when you get two people who have the appreciation for music and know lots of tidbits about bands and music the conversation ends up being good to listen to for other people that enjoy listening to that kind of music and learning about that stuff i've also been trying to do episodes where i can like help newer artists or older artists promote their work yeah trying to stay stick it in the diy community a little bit exposing people to new music new to them at least is is really the idea because i think the the genre the point of using the genre, the deep dive, is that I'm showing like the deep end of a genre because mm. people talk flack on all different types, like, oh, I hate country music or I hate punk music. And I guess the point of my show is to be like, do you actually hate it? 
because showing them the different ways that it could sound and how it's not all just the same. Yeah, that's really cool. And genre as as a, as a thing is so. I mean, there's so many arguments about what is and what isn't, you know? It's, yeah. it's kind of fun because one person's pop punk is totally different than another person's pop punk. Yeah. All right. Well, today we are going to have a great conversation, I feel like, Ben. We're talking about a bit of a controversial album for me. I both love and not love Sublime's 40 Ounce to Freedom. So, fascinating album. Yeah. Incredible stories. <laughs> but like I said, now I might both love and not love at the same time. And so we'll get into that uh, in just a minute. Sublime released 40 Ounces of Freedom on June 1st, 1993 on Skunk Records. Skunk was founded by Michael Miguel Happolt, in 1989-1990, according to different reports. I've also seen reports, Ben, that both Miguel and Brad started the label. I've seen things that say Brad started the label, so that's a little murky. <laughs> Miguel met singer-guitarist Bradley Knoll at a party in Long Beach and invited the band to do some live-to-dat recordings. They would break into the studio where Miguel was going to school and record at night. These recordings resulted in the 1991 cassette release, Jaw Won't Pay the Bills. When it came time to do 40 Ounces of Freedom, the band used many of the tracks from Jaw for the album and returned to Cal State to record more. Sneaking past security guards, the band recorded late at night. According to an article for the Sacramental Bee, Noel explained, You weren't supposed to be in there after 9 p.m., but we'd go in at 9.30 and stay until 5 in the morning. We just hide from the security guards. They never knew we were there. We managed to get $30,000 worth of studio time for free. Wow. That's crazy. That's Can you imagine? Awesome. <laughs> yeah. able to figure that out. In addition to new songs, re-recorded songs, and songs from Jaw, the album also includes six cover songs. Drummer Floyd Bud Goff only plays drums on four of the songs. Marshall Raz M.G. Goodman played drums on all the rest. Drum loops were also used. Bud had left the band in 1990 for rehab and did not return until just before the band began work on the follow-up, Robin the Hood. Which I thought was interesting, Ben, because I always assumed that the band we knew of as Sublime is the band that recorded this record. I guess I learned that pretty recently, too. It's hard to think of them not as the, like crew that is on this record right yeah the album would eventually be reissued by mca records affiliate gasoline alley records according to miguel in the la times i'm not proud of what we've done but if we wanted to keep going and do what we're doing the improved distribution and resulting infusion of cash was a necessity skunk records just couldn't keep up with the demand for the record according to stories tales lies and exaggerations the sublime documentary that can be found on YouTube, although it's kind of hard to watch because it's really blurry. <laughs> <laughs> the band showed up to sign on with gasoline and none of the head office people were available to take the meeting. They met with John Phillips and they brought dogs. They brought beers <laughs> on the way out the door. They stuck a sticker on the president's car, which almost killed the deal. So again, I'm imagining these guys just rolling up into this office and just like, 
overtaking the place with their crew and like signing this deal. <laughs> yeah. And probably like stumbling not sober at all. No way. <laughs> <laughs> right. Not the way you go into like a business meeting for uh, signing to a label. <laughs> You'd think, right? Interestingly enough, when MCA, Gasoline Alley, re-released the album, they had to make some changes. For the re-release, the second song on the album, Get Out, was removed. Apparently, the song had unlicensed samples. Unlicensed samples were also removed from We're Only Gonna Die and Let's Get Stoned. The song Date Rape ended with a cover of Rawhide, but that too was removed. So people with early copies of 40 Ounces to F- Freedom have a slightly different album than people who came to the band later or picked up represses from Yeah, and Alley. For a while, it was really hard to find, even on like YouTube, that v- version of the album. They really yeah. did a good sweep of it. I mean, now you can find that stuff and it's kind of cool to listen yeah. to it. But yeah, it's, it's interesting. And if you flip the record open and you pull out the lyric sheet, the lyrics are still there. They, they couldn't, they didn't have time or the money, I guess, to re reprint up the album art. So those lyrics are still there. And I always wondered what that was when I was younger and I had the CD. I was like, what is this? Is this like a poem that just, they just threw in here? What is this all about? <laughs> I never knew. All right. And that about wraps up what I have for the recording process for this record. Before we get to the songs, though, and there's a lot of them, Ben, I want to know, how did you get into this record? Oh, I think I've told you this story before, but uh, <laughs> it's my favorite to tell. So I want to hear it again. When I was in the seventh grade, I think it was, I must have been 12 or 13, and, you know, I was in my math class, and there's a, there's a surf brand, surf skate brand called Ruka, but the way they spell it is R-V-C-A because of the like Latin characters or whatever. Mm-hmm. And there are kids in my class during study hall arguing about whether it was Ruka or Rivka, whether it was a V or a U. And my math teacher out of nowhere says, you guys don't even know what a Ruka is. You ever heard the song <laughs> Waiting for My Ruka by Sublime? And everyone just kind of sat there like phased, like what is he talking about? and i was like yeah i know sublime but i was 13 i knew like a couple songs off their self-titled i didn't really know them know them like i do now but also i was 12 (laughs) so i like thought i was their biggest fan already but i told him that and he was like right on cool um that's awesome ben and then the next day lo and behold i come to school and he's like hey ben can you come here for a minute um, and he pulls out of his briefcase a copy of 40 Ounce to Freedom on CD, and he gives it to me. He said, because you said you were such a big Sublime fan, and I have so many copies to this CD because I saw them. Uh, I used to go to their shows all the time, so I would always buy yeah. a copy. And I was like, that's that's what got me. That's why this album definitely has a special place in my heart. I think from that that point forward, I like really define myself by someone who is like a ska head. That like fine line between punk and and reggae and and like Sublime definitely really put me in that into that world. And I think a big credit of that is to Mr. May, 
Mr. May. And it's so funny to me that he gave you this CD because it is super inappropriate for like super a inappropriate. <laughs> super inappropriate. I he just handed you this disc about like songs about smoking weed and drinking. And <laughs> I the day he gave it to me, I like was I got my grandpa picked me up from school. And I put the CD in the player in my grandpa's car and my grandpa was oh. <laughs> And I had to like turn it off immediately. Like we didn't make it halfway through the first song and we were like, he was like, that, this is enough for me. <laughs> <laughs> this was not grandpa's music. <laughs> no. Although there is like a little nod to George Gershwin on one of the songs we'll get to later. So there's a little bit something there for, for grandpa. Yeah. <laughs> so ben what drew you to this music you mentioned like the cross of genres but what about sublime really interested you they're unique they're their own sound we can we can categorize sublime as much as we want as like a ska reggae rock band or like a punk meets beach music or whatever but i think the fact yeah. that they're able to, they just play what they want and right. i think i've always been a fan of even before I discovered them, I was a huge, huge fan of reggae and early ska, like mm-hmm. first wave ska. And lo- Jamaican music has always been something that has spoken to me and grooved with me. Middle school tends to be around the time when most people discover like punk rock and loud music like that. And that's when I was like right. on the verge of like learning about all of those. And my older brother definitely who my older brother's six years older than me. So he was well aware of all the music that was going around, especially in this kind of scene. And so being able to like from him and knowing that I loved reggae and learning about punk and sublime was, was like one of those things that just kind of clicks and you're like, what? Um, yeah, it's the perfect in between. And maybe that was perfect in between then, but I've definitely found plenty of room in that in between since then. But yeah, definitely, definitely like yeah it's it's the two two music two pieces of music that i love the most like reggae ska and like punk and rock yeah it's it's perfect for me yeah and then uh throwing some rap lyrics and <laughs> you're exactly <all> <laughs> Well, Ben, my road to Sublime is maybe not as shocking but probably equally as strange uh, i was familiar with Sublime i'd, I'd heard them uh, they had Smoke Two Joints on the Mallrats soundtrack. <laughs> yeah. And I had that soundtrack because in 95, I was huge into like Weezer and Bush and Silverchair and all these like alternative rock bands. And I was just beginning to discover indie bands at that time. But it wasn't until Warp Tour 97 and through Pennywise that I discovered Sublime Music. They had actually done a cover of a Sublime song. And my interest perked. This was a great song. I loved it. Pennywise was doing it. And the song was Same in the End. But I didn't know that was the name of the song. And so I asked around. I asked all the so-called Scott Punk kids at my school if they knew what it was. No one knew the name of it. But I loved it. Yeah, I loved it. And I asked around. And nobody knew. But they were all like, oh, yeah, it's uh, it's on 40 Ounces to Freedom. Everyone said the same thing. It's on 40 Ounces to Freedom, which is so funny. So I picked that CD up and I tried to find the song. And of course, it's not on 40 Ounces to Freedom. <laughs> but right. I really loved most of the album anyway. I got really into it. 
I actually recall listening to that album every morning on my way into this prep cook job that I had. And it just became like the music that I would go to every morning on the way into this crazy job I had. And yeah, it was just the wild mix of styles. It had this like just disjointed flow. Like you never knew what was coming next. And it was just a lot of fun to listen to. I never really got into the self-titled record that much. I mean, I like a few songs off of it. I finally found Same in the end on that album. And I still love that song. So kind of a kind of a crazy story getting into Sublime. Yeah. Yeah, I can't say I ever got into self-titled as much either. I mean, this is the one I put on if I'm going to listen to Sublime usually. All right, Ben. Well, there are a ton of songs on this record, so we better get to it. Yeah, there's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> the record starts off with Waiting for My Ruka. On the east side, that's where I met my Ramona. I want to go to a party. And right off the bat, <laughs> I do not like this song. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just don't. We're going to be talking about a lot of extremes today, and I'm going to unload probably some personal opinions here, but I just don't, I don't care for waiting for my Ruka. Oh, I love it. Yeah. All right. So what do you love about it? I don't know if it's, if it's like, I think it's just the first song. I've listened to that one. Maybe it's also, that was the song that like my math teacher was like, you need to listen to. So it stuck mm-hmm. with me. I love the sample at the beginning. I love just the kind of way that the right off the bat the album starts with how hip hop saved my life a sam- like it was a sample and the barking i don't know if that's lou dog or not but yeah i believe it is um but that's like and... for me it's like a ha- i don't know it's 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 nice to hear that and then it's kind of a mellow song but i love the flow i like it as an opener and maybe i'm sentimental now because that's the only song that's scratched off of my cd like it won't play on my cd but the rest oh. of the album will. And I'm like, damn, I always have to skip it. <laughs> hey, I'll trade CDs with you. Yeah. <laughs> For real. <laughs> so the sample you're referring to is uh, the punk rock changed our lives is the sample voice of D Boone, the late singer of the Minutemen from the song History Lesson Part 2 off of their 1984 classic Double Nickels on the Dime. And you get a lot of that. You get a lot of samples, a lot of borrowed stuff from other musicians, which is kind of cool. Yeah. I don't know, Ben. For me, it's like it begins with these really low bass notes. Uh, Brad comes in singing in this low register. He's singing about a mistress who moves from Long Beach to L.A. and parties with him. And so... Yeah, maybe let me say it this way. I love this song but i don't think it's a very good song i feel here's my problem with it i'll tell you my problem yeah, with yeah. It, is i can barely hear it when i'm in my car you know <laughs> with the windows down and sublime is a windows down car record you know for sure. me at least yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so this i can't really hear it because like if i'm bombing down the highway and the wind's blowing in i've got to turn it way up because it's so low it is weird yeah it's just it's slow it's quiet and when I want to listen to this album, I want to get right into that catchy reggae and punk that permeates the record. I mean, I just always skipped this one. So maybe if I went back and listened to it and tried to appreciate it, I'd be like, oh, you know, it's it's good. It's good for what it is. But whenever I threw this album on, I always went right to track two. <laughs> In the song, you can hear the damn tough Curtis Blow from Tough Tough, the vocal samples from KRS-One style you haven't done yet, which is 
Again, something we're going to hear a lot of on this record. Samples. And a lot about KRS-One. <laughs> Early copies of the record had the song Get Out. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on this one. It's, you know, it's not on that record that we're talking about. It has like eight different samples ranging from horns on Beastie Boys Slow Ride to a Schoolhouse Rock sample. You can actually hear the original skunk version on YouTube like we talked about earlier. Uh, It actually makes for a better opener, in my opinion. (laughs) It's got that bright guitar and that upbeat rhythm. Yeah. But let's move on. I mean, there are too many songs on this album to devote to a jam that was cut. Track two, 40 Answers to Freedom. And the answer's always waiting at the liquor store. 40 ounces to freedom, so I take that walk. And I know that... For me, this is where (laughs) the album starts. The drums roll in, and Brad begins the tale of a carefree life of a young person drinking and partying trying to escape problems with alcohol. It should be the first song on the album. I think... You know, maybe if they moved Waiting for Ruka, like, down lower, maybe I'd like it Yeah, <laughs> no, I completely, like... It, it. Waiting for My Ruka should almost be, like, the rap, like, the, like, slow jam at some point. But 40 Ounces to Freedom, this song is, like, giving you what you need and expect this album to be. Exactly. Some have hinted that the lyrics could suggest he's just gotten out of prison... But it could also stand to mean that mental prison people so often find themselves in where alcohol can be an escape. There are also allusions to sex and knowing that his girlfriend or ex-girlfriend has been with other men. But mostly, it's just a song about trying not to fall back into past mistakes. I'm not going back, Brad sings. So, again, whether it's an actual prison or just (laughs) the antics that got him into some sort of trouble, you know, he's trying not to... To repeat that behavior yeah and as we all know bradley noel struggled with addiction his whole life and unfortunately yeah. lost him to it and mm-hmm. definitely i think a song like this alludes to that for him in a lot of ways especially when saying that drinking alcohol is the only chance i have to feel good <laughs> it's right. kind of kind of sad um to have to think about the reality behind it when like yes some of it is like about having fun drinking booze and hanging out with girls he's also like this is the only thing he can do for himself which i think right is deep <laughs> yeah and it's better than some of the alternatives which later he would succumb to but yeah it's got a laid back vibe i like it at one point in the song you even hear people talking like about mun- like mundane stuff in the background like i think he's like did you bring those bottles back eric <laughs> yeah 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 And that always cracked me up. They're waiting for someone named Josh or something. (laughs) And I always like that because it creates images in my mind of these guys just kind of jamming, like in a living room. They're like, you know, they're making a song. They're singing about 40 ounces of freedom. But while they're, you know, doing this instrumental jam, they're like, hey, did you go grocery shopping? You know, did you grab the mail? They're just like, you know, living this carefree life. Yeah, for real. Especially after hearing that they like recorded it all in the middle of the night. And tried to get it all yeah. done in one go. Like, I'm sure they were right. just kind of, like, messing around. I love that they left all that in. Yeah, me too. I love it when bands leave that kind of stuff in. 
The next song in the album is Smoke Two Joints. First cover of the album, yeah? Yeah, originally this is by The Toys. This version features a sample from Beyond the Valley of the Dolls. And a fellow named Chris gets an album credit for the bong hits you hear. (laughs) (laughs) And off we go with one of the more humorous songs on the album. This song always cracked me up, man. It's hilarious. It's funnier that it's a... that it's a cover too yeah. like <laughs> it's the most sublime song in the world a, a band that talks like sings about smoking weed and just smoking weed i feel like it like it makes sense that it's the toys too but like not knowing that it's like it's su- the epitome of like the sublime person <laughs> like the lifestyle yeah yeah you ever tried counting how many joints he actually smokes in this song <laughs> no too many <laughs> I always lose count. Yeah, I always try. It's like I'll be starting the song off. I'm like, all right, I'm going to get it this time. Let me count them. Mm, nope. <laughs> I thought I got it one. I thought it was 18. I don't know. It's like 18 in one day. But, of course, you have to factor in that he does two in time of peace and two in time of war. So, basically, that's two more. I don't know if it brings it up to 20. I, I don't know. But he also <laughs> smokes two joints before he smokes two more. You're right. So maybe that, but I feel like that means he never stops smoking them because every time he smokes, he's just constantly smoking. Two more, he has to smoke two more. <laughs> <laughs> the song samples the band The Ziggins, uh, who Miguel was actually a member of that band, The Ziggins. And they got this line smoke cigarettes till the day she died. And that comes from the song Outside on Wake Up and Smell. Also, smoke a big spliff of some good sense, Amelia is uh, Just Ice, Not Touch the Just from the Desolate One. So, and then I think you have some Easy e in there too. Yeah. <laughs> Hell no. <laughs> so there's a lot of stuff in there. There's so many. The samples on this album are just getting better and better as you keep going down the track listing. <laughs> yeah. You know, the stuff that they compiled to go into these songs it's just so amazing to me. It's like they either really thought hard about this or they didn't think hard about it at all. <laughs> just like threw stuff in. I think a little bit of both, probably. Yeah, yeah. I bet it's a little bit of both. I want to go back uh, just for a minute to the Toys version of the song. If you've ever heard the Toys version, it features even more joints. As Sublime left out a verse about smoking in the car and smoking while playing video games uh, I guess they had to cut that to make room for all the samples and stuff, but I, it was interesting to note that the toys version has even more joints. <laughs> <laughs> that is funny. Not enough joints. We got really? more. So after smoke two joints, we have we're only gonna die for our arrogance. Early man walked away. It's my romantic control. Their minds were all the same. To conquer was their goal. And this, of course, is a cover of Bad Religions, We're Only Gonna Die, from How Could Hell Be Any Worse. And Ben, I'm a huge Bad Religion fan, so to hear this song on here, I was just like so stoked. (laughs) Yeah, it's so cool. I mean, I I think this is the first, for the second of many covers on this album again, but Smoke Your Joints is a toys cover, and 
being yeah. able to hear a punk song like that being played in the sublime like mellow ska punk kind of way really really is so cool it's just so cool and it's awesome i think that this is kind of like setting the scene for like the rest of those songs that were that are covers that are along the way and like yeah i guess this one tied with the one before i'm really like like whoa this yeah cool. <laughs> i totally agree i love that they switch styles like that i mean that's that's one of the reasons why i like sublime and I like that, you know, these first three songs on here have that laid back kind of reggae ska vibe. And then this song actually starts off with the reggae and then alternates between that and punk, where Brad is actually soloing over a lot of the beginning on the guitar. And um, it's cool that they put their own twist on it. You yeah. know, I wouldn't have wanted Sublime to come in and just play the song just as Bad Religion had played it. Exactly. So it's cool that they throw that on there. And I just love the, I love the sound of a ska or reggae band playing punk. And there's something about it. I'm not sure what it is. It almost sounds like they shouldn't be doing it, but they're doing it. And it just sounds really awesome. <laughs> I mean, it's great. And I think also it's just like it's good enough of a cover, unique enough of a cover to the fact where it's the, like, I feel like this way about a lot of Sublime covers is that people don't necessarily realize that it's a cover right away. Mm, and right. They like think that Sublime wrote a song and they didn't, <laughs> but they did it so uniquely and in their own way that they don't realize it's bad religion or the descendants or whatever, you know? Sure. Yeah. And here's to hoping that Sublime turned a lot of new fans on to these bands, you know? Yeah. The song written by Greg Graffin of Bad Religion looks at the notion that early man gave way to modern man who took over, built empires and slaughtered each other over power, religion and fear. Drawing from The Origin of Species by Charles Darwin, the song looks at how our own arrogance and human foibles will be our undoing. So we might as well not rush into it. <laughs> One more note on this song, Ben, at about the two-minute mark. The original skunk version had some dialogue dropped in from the 1976 movie Network. Uh, they had to pull that out for the re-release. I guess you got to pick your battles with samples. <laughs> they had so much stuff to clear for this record. I'm sure they were just like, okay, fine. <laughs> yeah, for real. <laughs> Let's move on to Don't Push. Stolen from an African land, chased out with a knife, with a face like Bob Marley and a mouth like a motorbike. Oh, well, the bars are always open and the time is always right. This is probably my favorite song off 40 Ounces to Freedom. I love this song. It's a good one. I mean, and they must have liked it too because it appeared on Ja Won't Pay the Bills. It was re recorded for this. And then it even comes back as a secret track on Robin the Hood. So really? They must have liked it too. Yeah. yeah, it was. It's a good one. I like that this one is more. I, I don't even know. It's not like. I want to say that it feels more like a reggae song off the bat, but it's not. Mm -hmm entirely a reggae song you know right it's it faster yeah way faster right it has this groove to it it kind of like it kind of like charges forward a little bit because yeah. it's got the do 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 you know and it's it mixes the two uh i guess opposite feelings the driving forward more of like a punk attitude but played with like a reggae rhythm <laughs> yeah cool. it's so good and such a fun lyrical like play that he does yeah and it's like it's like 
got a great melody and it's right in my wheelhouse man when this song comes on i just sing the whole thing word for word like (laughs) i love it yeah no it's so good but you're right the lyrics he's got stolen from an african land which is very reminiscent of bob marley's buffalo soldier yeah you know stolen from africa he also makes like a ton of mentions of artists like he he mentions the boomtown rats he mentions bob marley uh, he mentions the beastie boys ad rock he's like calling out all these names and then he's throwing in even like Beastie Boy lyrics. He has the get hip, don't slip, knuckleheads. Racism is schism on a serious tip. And that comes from the Beastie Boy song, Looking Down the Barrel of a Gun. Yeah. Like Paul's Boutique. So. Yeah. And then he he loves the Beastie Boys, clearly. I, I forget which song. Yeah. I'm sure we'll get to it. But there's some good samples in here, too. <laughs> right. At one point in the song, Brad provides a phone number, 439-0116, which apparently was actually Brad's old phone number. (laughs) And so I love this song. It's definitely one of my favorite. Well, I think it is my favorite song. I think I said that a moment ago. Uh, But I don't love all of it. I find the last minute or so just kind of drags. Really? Are you familiar? So it's got like some guy, I'm not even sure who it is. Some guy is just like freestyling or whatever. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I do. I do. And it's, yeah, it's not something I want to have to listen to every time I pop in this great mm-hmm. song. Like, I want this song because it's where so it's, catchy. It's so good. Bali, I'd say, Could you be loved? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just feel like the end part just gets like, oh, God, here we go. You know? <laughs> and I don't know why, because I think it's because the song is just so good and snappy and catchy, but then it just kind of like, trails off like yeah i think you're right but i also think that the way i liked it i just like think about them being in the recording studio and one of them being like hey wait let me try something and yeah just spitting a weird ass rap verse over that last little bit (laughs) right oh yeah i mean they didn't care about like trying to come up with a radio hit or anything no no but totally in their zone for freestyling and experimenting and and that's, but anyway, I just think it's yeah. funny to think about them. Like, they definitely were just like, what if I rapped right now? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, you. Yeah, yeah, some guy was probably passing by the studio or something. I don't know. Pull him in here. Let's get him on here. For real. <laughs> anyway, I used to put the song on mixtapes and I would stop it right at two minutes and 58 seconds when Brad says, playing, playing. Play Boom. I would stop it right there. Because <laughs> if you do, if you cut it right there, that's where you get like, you know, like the, the song part. Yeah. And then cut off the, you know, no disrespect, but like, I, I don't know. I don't know. All right. Let's move on to 5446 was my number slash ball and chain. great one probably one of mine my favorites yeah yeah it's a combination it's two songs together this is definitely my favorite toots and the maytel song i love i love this song he's singing about you know his prison number when he he got set up I, the story's crazy ben i guess he won a contest in 1966 it was like jamaica's national popular song contest he had the song called bam bam but everything was put on hold after he won this thing i guess he was supposed to get like studio time or i don't know what he was supposed to get but uh, he got framed for having weed, apparently, like back then, you know, that yeah. was a big offense. Um, but he believes that his, the competitors were jealous of him and like planted this stuff on him because he got arrested 
And out of that arrest came this song. He was in jail for 18 months and he wrote this song and it got huge. So how about that? Like <laughs> sticking it to those competitors with a massive song. I knew it was his prison number, but knowing I did not know that's why he was in jail. Um, that's pretty funny. Yeah. Uh, the song borrows heavily from the Ethiopians trained to Scaville as far as the music goes. I mean, it's basically the music to that song with new lyrics. <laughs> that dude's put over the top. I don't think I ever paid enough attention to notice that, but I do love both of those songs. So that's funny. Yeah. A few other things I find interesting about this song, Ben, is at one point Brad sings 5447 was my number. And I always wondered why he did that. I always thought it was just because he messed up and he didn't care. Ah. Same, similar with like what April 29, 1992. Yeah. Where, like the title <laughs> is not the same as the right date. And he's just like, I don't care. Like, I, I bet you're right, man. I, that's funny. I never really thought that maybe he just made a mistake. I thought it was, I was like reading into it too much. I was like, is he doing that? Because it's like, this is a new version of the song and he's stepping up the number. <laughs> <laughs> Overthinking it. Overthinking it. But anyway, uh, another funny thing I want to mention before I, I get into Ball and Chain, Ben, is that did you know that Vanilla Ice covered this song in 2011? <laughs> um, no, I didn't. And that's There's weird. a Vanilla Ice version of this song out there. You got to go. You got to go hear it. <laughs> <laughs> that's crazy. And then curse my name after you've heard it. Yeah, for real. I will. I'll listen to it unenthusiastically. Anyway, I love Sublime's version. It's definitely got some great bounce to it. I, again, I love the rhythm. I love the sublime drum beat, you know, just the hi-hat, boom, hitting the snare. That's definitely something that is signature-wise, definitely sublime. Yeah. And then the song goes right into Ball and Chain. People listen up, don't stand too near. I've got something that you all should hear all the lies. All the lies they told to me for the little part of history. I was always found that for me, girl. And this is a song about not wanting to be tied down by marriage. I think the song is best summed up by the lines, because marriage doesn't work in the world today. It's an institution that is in decay. And if I have love I wish to portray, I will surely find another way. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. And I think it's also using, you know, the, the phrase of like the old ball and chain being kind of... Um, weird and problematic and sexist um mm -hmm. but how bradley is using it as like a critique on the institution of marriage right and like how he chooses to love which is also like funny i think when we learn about like his girlfriend and wife's experience with him um right and yeah i mean i think he he thought of it as that way and maybe didn't act on it in, a, in the same way. But I love that these tracks are together because I also think mm -hmm. that part of that is like, he's talking about prison. Uh, he's singing a song about prison into a song about marriage, mm -hmm. which I yeah, think is yeah. a really interesting dichotomy, like interesting thing to yeah. say. Um, That's very fast. Not that I have experience <laughs> being married or in prison. So... <laughs> Yeah, Brad would eventually marry Troy Decker in May of 96. Uh, fortunately, he died seven days after their wedding. He had a son, Jacob, and that was supposed to be the thing that was really going to turn him around. And it's yep. devastating to know that he lost that battle. 
pretty sad. And he lost it before Sublime really blew up, too. Uh, all right. Well, one more note on this song. Todd Foreman remembers in an article on Hilo, I came home from college one summer and they were recording 40 Ounces to Freedom. And they were like, perfect timing. So I go to this apartment building off Broadway and it's literally in the back unit that's been converted into a performance booth, an engineering booth. They had already laid down all the songs and then the horns came in. I did about five or six tracks of playing that saxophone, that cool saxophone solo that yeah. you hear in Ball and Chain. Interestingly, on early versions, you can hear Brad, and you still hear it on 40 Ounces to Freedom. They didn't get rid of it. You can hear Brad singing the sax part. The ba da 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 Yeah. <laughs> Which I always thought was funny. All right, let's move on to Badfish. The word badfish is slang for a person who is into hard drugs, specifically heroin or heavy drinking, and rather than keeping their bad habits to themselves, prefer to influence those around them to join in their dirty vices. Despite this, the sentiment seems to be that this person wants to change their ways. Brad sings, ain't got no quarrels with God, ain't got no time to grow old. Lord knows I'm weak. Won't somebody get me off of this reef? Yeah, it's such a like beautiful melancholy song. And I think again, you know, it's speaking to his his struggles with addiction and his own mental struggles and it's really a different mood than the rest of the album. Yeah. Shows you he's being a little more serious about himself. Yeah, it's a very serious song. And you're right, it does stand out. It's a good song. And I'm totally wrong in this, but I, it always seemed to me when I was younger that this one sounded sonically a little different. I thought they had recorded this one separately, but I don't think they did. I think it's just something about it gives it that little extra push to it. Yeah, it's a slow jam. And I think that also just, you know, there's not really any like scratchy sampling or anything on it huh mm -hmm. yeah so it does really sound different because of that i think as well according to bassist eric in the la weekly miguel went into a bar to record the live crowd noise at the beginning you can hear tell todd he can turn the radio back up which is actually spoken by miguel hmm. that's cool and lastly this song is heavily, heavily inspired by the Ziggins song, All the Fun That We Missed. If you listen to that song, it's it's amazing how close the two songs are. <laughs> Whoa. I'll have to listen to it. I don't think I've heard that yeah. before. Give it a listen. Moving on to Let's Go Get Stoned. This seems like a song about the paranoia that comes as a relationship has maybe become stale. He's worried she's going to run off on him. He's bored and even dreams about her with other guys. Maybe so he'd have an excuse to end things. But it's like <laughs> he wants to. He doesn't want to. It's a very relatable song, I think, for a lot of people. 
And I think the way he does it is so just quick and cut and clean. And also like the the way the I swear sometimes you're taking me for granted. The way it kind of starts mm-hmm. like almost like he's contemplating life slowly, thinking out loud, and then it kind of bumps into the song a little more. It's really great. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty cool. It's got some cool parts to the song. You have like the various sections. You have that bass part where you sing along with the bass and Yeah. Different sections of the song. It's pretty cool how it all came together. There are lots of public enemy and easy E samples all over the song. And you mentioned the Beastie Boys earlier. Definitely have that great role at the end of the song. And then the there it is, kick it <laughs> from the new style on License to Ill. It's so good. My favorite sample <laughs> on the album. I think it's played so <laughs> so perfectly like in a random spot. Like yeah. there's no reason for there to be a beast that Beastie Boy sample there, but it's so recognizable as a Beastie Boys little tidbit. And I like I love I'm a huge Beastie Boys fan. So when I heard that one, I was like, oh my God, what is this doing here? <laughs> And it goes right into New Thrash, which is like some ripping punk tune. So it comes out of that and just boom, like charges forward. And I think that's such an awesome transition. Yeah. New Thrash is one of my favorites. So also that transition from, you know, that slow song, not slow, but slower. And I feel like, again, that Beastie Boys, it kind of does offer that funny transition right into New Thrash. Fast punk rock it's got that punk rock attitude you know i might as well go out for mine because everybody's going out for theirs kind of like it's this dog eat dog world <laughs> and brad's feeling like the stress and pressures of the world just getting it out here yeah it's so good and i love the the i think we've talked about it so much already like the the genre crossing where like this is yeah. a like skate punk song this is like a fast mm-hmm. it's the shortest song on the album and even though this album is like all over the place production wise and like they mess up a Mm. lot. It also shows you how talented (laughs) they are in terms of being able to just like, just play a reggae song and then play an actual punk song and like, just jump back and forth listening to it. It makes like, it sounds like it should all be on the same album. So it takes a lot of talent. (laughs) And I think new thrash is a song that doesn't get as much recognition as it deserves. Yeah, I agree. I think it's a great song. Uh, you're right, it is very short. I think maybe they knew that. And so I love how the song kind of like breaks down a little bit. The drums are rolling. And again, you can hear that crowd noise, like it's a live, like a live show all of a sudden. Like, oh, how do we get how do we get into a live show? And you think the song is ending, but then it does like this 13 second like blast, like full throttle <laughs> to the end. I just love that part. It's awesome. It just gets faster and faster. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if you've ever heard the the live album they put out, Stand By Your Van. Yeah, I have. 
when this song comes on, he totally misses his cue on guitar. And because the song is so fast, he isn't able to pick it up for a bit. So it's literally just like drum and bass. And then all of a sudden guitar comes in out of nowhere. I think Brad was pretty notorious for like stopping his guitar playing or just like forgetting to play guitar, you know? (laughs) Yeah, it makes sense. I've seen a lot of videos where he just lets go of the thing and he's like singing. Or yeah, we just drops it all together. <laughs> Let's move on to Scarlet Begonias. As I was walking down Rubber Square, not a chill to the window, but a nip to the air. From another direction, she was caught in my eye. One of my, probably my favorite song to listen to off this album. Yeah, I would always so skip a... right to track. I think it was 10 on the CD I had because there was no guess. Yeah. <laughs> I would skip straight to it every time I got in the car. Yeah, it's a Grateful Dead cover, which is cool. I guess Miguel was a huge deadhead and convinced the band to cover the song. Uh, and I've heard that Miguel basically sings this whole song. He even sings the harmonies. Brad doesn't actually come in until the end with the freestyle part. And that kind of blew my mind because for years I just assumed it was Brad. And then I read that it wasn't. It was actually Miguel singing this song. But then I was like, really? Like, it sounds like Brad. So I didn't quite believe it. They have similar (laughs) sounds as well, I guess. I wouldn't, like, know how to tell you what Miguel sounds like ever. Yeah. But but definitely, and that freestyle is so funny. Because I'm also, I'm a pretty big Grateful Dead fan as well. Um, mm-hmm. I think I'm. I've seen your tie dye shirts. Yeah, you have. <laughs> um, I love the Grateful Dead. Um, I'm not outing myself to anyone that's common knowledge, I guess. But oh yeah, throw it out there, man. Yeah, but you know, I think I I, I would rather listen to this over the Grateful Dead version, and I think Real Dead wow. like shame wow. me for that. Um, <laughs> and I like don't don't let them don't care because I'm not an old deadhead man um and it's so much more fun and it's faster and but also i think that it's that like grateful dead as a part of like pop culture um especially Mm -hmm. the 90s pop culture is like really silly and funny it's so good it got i think this song more than like getting into the grateful dead was after i had heard this song so definitely oh wow uh, cool also opened that door for me i think and my math teacher taught me the rap. So that was also a funny moment because what's the rap? We, I bought like she tie dye dress, a psychedelic mess. And then he just lists all the drugs he's sold. Yeah. <laughs> and my <laughs> math teacher taught me the lyrics. Um, yeah. Oh man. So that was pretty, great. Um, yeah. My dad's a massive Grateful Dead. Yeah. Fan. He even goes to like the theater like to watch the live shows (laughs) so it was good we had a connection on this song that's awesome another cool thing about this song is you know they they didn't have drums for it i don't know if it was you know because bud was unavailable and they just didn't get marshall on it because you know they maybe thought of this one last minute and so miguel and brad threw it together with eric but the drum beat is actually lifted right from the james brown funky drummer from the Jungle Groove album, and so it's kind of cool. Yeah, it's awesome. Let's move on to Live at Ease. Well, she my body ache, and you know I live more. I won't flake 
This song has a good groove. I like the groove to this song. Yeah, it's fun. Yesterday I saw a It's so good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, I don't know, like it feels like to me, like they just kind of made this one up on the spot. I mean, they probably didn't, but the, the vibe, because it has like these different parts, you know, they kind of tie them together. It's very, it's a very loose song. It's very loose and they all just have these like little raps in it. Right. And <laughs> it, I don't know. It's so funny. Uh, my favorite is at the end. My name is Eric. I have nothing to yeah. say because I'm not a fucking DJ. Yeah. <laughs> it's so funny. I was cracking up. I love how he's goaded into doing it. Like, come on, come on, just sing something, sing something. And it's yeah, like, oh, I got nothing. <laughs> it's it's so good. And it's it's like a it's a silly one. It's a pretty silly one. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely is. Like I said, it feels like they made it up. You know, you got Roz MG doing his like his superior rap part, and then you got Eric coming in and just kind of yeah. blowing it. And <laughs> I looked into what the song title is even about, and I guess it comes from the fact that Cal State is not far from Compton, where Easy E was from. So there's like an Easy E tie there, live at Ease. Um I don't know. But uh you know, it closes the second side of a two vinyl set so you gotta put that record away and pull out another one to get to side three which starts off with djs this song is recorded for jaw won't pay the bills and is reused here the song contains a lyric from Bob Marley's Ride Natty Ride with Dread Got a Job to Do. And uh, yeah, it's a cool song. It's got like some crazy sound effects in it. Yeah, this is another one that's also like very beachy in my mind. I don't know. This is mm. I'm also from Orange County, so Sublime mm-hmm. continues to have a huge, huge impact on the Southern California um scene in music and in just like if you go to the beach you'll hear sublime playing and this is one of those songs that like if i'm driving down pch i'm gonna listen to (laughs) yeah it's cool i mean it's got like the reggae vibes it's got the rap vibes i mean there's like hip-hop all over this thing yeah Uh, all the djs surely have taken a lesson comes straight from the just ice not touch the just uh, from 1989's The Desolate One, and it just takes that right from there. <laughs> it's also got a Bob Marley line in there, the stone that the builder refuse shall be the head cornerstone. Yeah, it's just a genius album. <laughs> Already, mm-hmm. I'm just thinking about that now. Like, too, you, you start to think that the songs are getting too much, and, you know, what, this is the beginning of Side 3. DJ is, yeah. like, a great way to start it, I think. Oh. Yeah. Just comes in with that really catchy, all of the DJs, you know, it's yeah. really great. It's a good sing-along. It really is. And, it's and then they treat us to a awesome little sing-along, the dandy Livingstone song, Rudy, A Message to You, which was popularized by the specials. I love that part at the end. Yeah, I forgot about that, even though I was looking at the lyrics just now. Um, that yeah. part, I feel like my first time listening to it, like the album, because this isn't necessarily a song that I pick out. I'm listening, uh, making a playlist or something. 
yeah you know after i had gone through like really deep into loving the specials coming back and listening to this whole album for a change and then hearing it i was blown away and i was like they really are taking like they know what they're pulling from mm-hmm. and it's not just like they're a bunch of white dudes who want to play reggae and ska like they're pulling from and you see that throughout the throughout the record of like the ziggins no one no you don't think about them when you think about scott punk but like right think the specials is what made me realize how like they know they're they know the kind of music they're making well and right. awesome to me and sublime got a lot of flag for you know cultural appropriation but I really think that they just loved all this music and they loved it so much that like it, they just wore it right on their sleeves. I mean, their influences are so out there. Yeah. You know, there's always been a couple things, especially Bradley being the kind of dude he was, that there were mm-hmm. things that have aged poorly. Um, definitely. Yeah. But I don't think that was ever, I think that, you know, they, they're a very unique band and they, really 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 cared about the music that influenced them and tried to represent it well yeah we got a couple songs coming up later on the record that uh, we'll get into some of that uh, <laughs> that cringy stuff but uh for now let's move on to chica mi tipo This song uses the very popular main rhythm from the song The Villains Theme, an old tune that you hear everywhere from like cartoons to video games. They grab that and then he's singing in Spanish. Yep. He's fluent. (laughs) Yeah, he's pretty good at it. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what he's saying. I don't speak Spanish, but... Uh, Mine's not nearly as good to know what this whole song means, but I, I know parts of it, I think. But but Bradley's... Yeah. I mean, he was fluent in Spanish, and a lot of people didn't realize that because a lot of his Spanish songs would be really silly. <laughs> mm-hmm. He's such an interesting guy because, you know, he's like this slightly overweight, blonde guy, and he has like this soulful voice. He knows all this great, you know, music and culture, and he speaks Spanish. <laughs> you know, you never would think that just looking at him. You'd be like, yeah. who is this bro? You know? And it's just a silly, like, it's a pretty silly song. Chica Mi Tipo means like the girl, my type, like my type of girl. That's, I, I think it's funny. It adds on to that because he plays into that, like, I'm this white guy who knows Spanish. And I think this song and then like on the self-titled Caress Me Down, um, definitely is when he has a, a Spanish verse and it's like, me gusta reggae, me gusta punk rock. <laughs> and yeah. it's, so, it's so silly. And he used that to his advantage because he was like, I do know Spanish, so why not yeah. sing a little Spanglish? I'm just going to be silly, yeah. And, you know, it's not that I don't like the song, but on an album that's over an hour long, I often skip this one too. And I think the reason why is because I I really like Right Back. Yeah. I love, love 
this song. The melody, the tempo, the groove, the arrangement, the drums. I hate the lyrics. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a bad one. They're so bad. Weird oh, one. God, which kills me because this is such a great song. Everything about it is so great, except the lyrics. <laughs> He's looking for that bright holiday, that ultimate high, whether it's through sex or drugs, but he can't quite reach it. He finds himself right back where he started. It's kind of like, you know, throwing it back to uh, 40 Ounces to Freedom, where he wasn't going to go back. Uh, And the cycle just continues, and he feels trapped in the pen or jail. Uh, His circumstance causes him to feel stuck, but there's just, ugh. (laughs) It's uh... a lot of cringe on this one. It's a it's a cringy one, but you're right. It's like sonically great, <laughs> oh, and uh, I just love it. But if I just if I can ignore what he's saying, <laughs> yeah, and, so, and people are probably like, "Well, what is he saying that you don't like?" And it's like I'm not gonna go through this lyric sheet here and like pick it all out. I mean, just give it a read for yourself. I mean, it's yeah. <laughs> you know, she's a little hoe. I mean, there's just so much on here. I guess what I was saying before, especially I think some of the stuff around how he sings about women has not aged well, nor did know, it ever yeah. exist well. Not It's not an aging thing. It's just like, right, I think right. the way music was singing about those things, it was more acceptable in the media. But nowadays, a song like this would not be accepted. And it doesn't excuse it. But, you know, back then, there was just a lot of dumb dudes standing around making dumb jokes and dumb comments. And I don't think everyone who made those comments is like a terrible human being and they should be canceled and blah, 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 blah. I mean, this stuff is important. I mean, this is an important record just for getting conversations started and talking about these lyrics and talking about, you know, the way we speak about women and music. And I mean, a lot of hip hop, you know, how many times do you hear like ho and bitch? And it's just like, eek, you know? Yeah. (laughs) Come on, guys. I still think that this stuff is important, and I think it's important to recognize all that and and to acknowledge that so many. I mean, I'm sure if I went back into my history, I could find instances where I said insensitive things or made dumb jokes just to get my buddies to laugh. I mean, we all did it. But, you know, along the way, you learn, oh, that's not cool. All right, let's move into what happened. There's no recollection of the evil things I've done. So earlier I mentioned that George Gershwin, I've heard the opening horn line in the song is from Rhapsody in Blue. Huh. Uh, but I haven't really been pumping that song on my stereo as of late, so I can't really verify. I can't say that I have been either. <laughs> but that's cool. That's cool. A little Gershwin on there. Why not? Anyway, it's a song about the day after a long night of drinking and drug use where the person is trying to piece together a wild night. He goes, last night I remember I was chilling at a party and he's talking about drinking recklessly and you know he blacks out at one point and when he wakes up he's in bed with some girl and he doesn't know who she is and something smells bad <laughs> my imagination always used to run wild with what that smell might be yeah and it's also like it's it's just funny to think about i think there's you know because what this was bb king right that wrote it oh really um, I was just I had I was wanted to look at the track listing and I had it open on Wikipedia and apparently he has a credit for writing it. 
On on Wikipedia, what happened? Yeah, it says BB King wrote it. Oh wow, I did not catch that. Um, I wonder what part, what section he must have written enough of. I mean, because they don't give credit to (laughs) some of the other artists. I mean, they thank them and they yeah uh, they throw their name out there, but as far as a a writing credit goes, it's he has a song called "What Happened." (laughs) BB King singing about. Throwing bottles at bouncers and peeing in people's drinks. Yeah, exactly. But I guess what I was thinking <laughs> is that the the difference between the original is that like BB King, um, is coming from a much different time of music and style of music, and mm. but he's still singing about partying, um, right? And like doing drugs and having sex, but in a very very BB King like bluesy way, you know, and yeah it's funny to pair it with what brad how bradley noel decided to change it <laughs> i know he did a lot of weird changes if i mean if you go through these lyrics i mean he does um in scarlet begonias which we talked about earlier he changes the name of the uh the location i forget what he's what the original is but he says rub-a-dub square so yeah, yeah he says of... rub-a-dub square <laughs> yeah <laughs> Anyway, uh, before we move on, a little nod to Fishbone, one of my favorite groups, uh, when they say, play it, boy, wonder. Uh, It comes from Ground Zero. Something to that effect. The next song is New Song. I heard that payback's a motherfucking bitch, but I won't stress and I won't switch. And I would not take my life. Glory, please, I got so good this is one of also my like top three i think is up there it's got that very memorable paybacks and motherfucking yeah. <laughs> which comes right from ice cube uh he he has a song where he starts the same thing uh brad says bitch he doesn't say what ice cube says i'm not gonna say what ice cube says but i got really into this song kind of re- like a year or two ago um i was listening to it a lot because um Bradley Noel's son and Law Records put out that um, house that Bradley bit, built like fundraiser, oh, yeah. bunch of covers, and the Mad Caddies covered this song. And right. I like was obsessed with it because I think the best way to sublime is, are the kings of covers already. And they like having uh, bands do it was awesome. And that made me listen to the sublime version like a hundred more times. Absolutely. And you can tell the Mad Caddies were heavily influenced by Sublime. And it's awesome to hear their version. I I like that one a lot. And I like the old uh, Nice for Name used to uh, did a cover of Bad Fish, which I always thought was cool. I thought the funny one was that Milo Ackerman did a cover of Hope, which is a cover of Hope. Yeah. (laughs) And didn't he do it on like a ukulele? Yeah, he did it with a ukulele. (laughs) Like he did it in a new style, which was so funny. That's awesome. A cover of a cover of a cover. Yeah. Anyway, in this one, he's got running from the gun of a brain that weighs a ton as a, as a phrase from Public Enemy. I can't do nothing for you, man. Again, it's just I'm thinking about like how he has all these lines from all these songs. And I mean, I don't know for sure. I mean, I wasn't there, but I always get got the sense that like they would write songs and Brad wouldn't have lyrics yet. So he would just kind of throw like anything he was listening to over the top you know to find out what the melodies would be and he would just sing like lyrics to songs that he liked and eventually when the songs would become written some of those placeholder lyrics would just like he couldn't beat them you know so like they just stayed in (laughs) yeah definitely 
but I love I love this one. I love the kind of like dub backing as well. And it's really kind of like like hi-fi, you know. Yeah, definitely. All right, we're coming down the final stretch here. Side four of the album starts with Eben. And this song has a bit of an interesting backstory to it. So, I mean, first off, I could only find one source of this uh, 2006 article in Thrasher magazine. Uh, So we need to take this with a grain of salt. But (laughs) apparently, Eben Sterling, E-B-I-N, was a classmate of Brad's at the University of California at Santa Cruz back in 1988. According to Eben, he was working on a class project with Brad when they made plans to jam, Evan brought a song he had been working on called Celebration, and Brad really liked it. Brad made his own recording of the song later that night and changed the lyrics. Because he used Evan's name in the song, he called it Evan E-B-E-N, changing the spelling so no one would be confused, <laughs> which is so funny. When Evan heard the song, he was rather annoyed by the fact that Brad had basically stolen his song and that in the song, Evan, him, is portrayed as like a Nazi who smokes crack. Uh, But the worst of it was he was actually jealous that Brad had made the song better. (laughs) That's funny. Not upset that he calls you a Nazi a bunch. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Like, damn, he made it better than than I did. But anyway, it goes on. A year later, Evan got a letter from Brad asking for permission to record the song, uh, but Evan basically just ignored the letter. He didn't respond. And this is why I think a lot of demos for this song are titled Evan's Change, E-B-E-N-N-Z-C-H-A-N-G-E. They, they changed the title. Um, eventually, in 94, while working at Thrasher Magazine, the song floated back into Eben's life as Skunk had sent some promos out to various publications. He didn't know Brad was in Sublime or any of that. And it took him a moment, but he was struck by how the song sounded familiar. And he kept, he kept listening to it and it kept repeating his own name. And, you know, he kind of shrugged it off. Uh, but then he, he figured out, hey, that's, that's my song. <laughs> but apparently just shrugged it off. He never, you know, sought any compensation or anything. He just uh, was like, well, you know, he made it. He made it something. He turned the song into something. So, you know, he was just satisfied with that, I guess. It's pretty crazy. And it's funny that that's what the song is about, because, I mean, I learned that recently. um, But the song also felt so. I mean, maybe it's just the lyrics he used, because I always imagined that he changed the name, but he's writing this song about someone that he actually knows yeah especially John Nazi yeah because I mean I guess he wrote it when he was living in Santa Cruz but the way mm-hmm. I always thought about it was you know I'm like there's definitely in Southern California you know California gets a rap for being pretty progressive and being a, a blue state but for a lot of time especially in those beach cities where where Bradley's from and near where I was growing up um you had a lot of people that you were tight with when you're kids and then you get to high school, college age, and these kids start saying some crazy racist shit. And yeah, 
shit like this is what I would say to them. Like, man, my friend's a Nazi. <laughs> yeah. 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 People change, man. Yeah. It's a, it's a bummer how sometimes people kind of veer off, you know, you were friends at one point in your life, you know, you had so much in common at one time and then something happens, you know, your, your, your pathways just yeah. totally diverge, you know? Interesting last tidbit on this song is this song was recorded separately from all of these tracks. This one was tracked in Hollywood. Uh, bassist Eric's father, a trained jazz musician, actually set up the recording session for this song. And the bongo drums you hear on this song is Eric's father. That's funny. That's cute. <laughs> yeah. It did a little family recording, went down there and made a song. It wasn't even their song. <laughs> that's true. That was that's awesome. To, that's an awesome little fact, though. Yeah, I like that one. All right, let's jump into date rape. This is one of the first songs the three band members ever worked on together in Bud's Garage. The memorable opening rhythm and horn line draws very heavily from The Witch by the 1960s garage rock band The Sonics. Uh, and maybe lyrically inspired by the special AKA single The Boiler, uh, we have Day Rape. Uh, <laughs> the song turned out to be a minor hit for the band years later. When it was picked up by K-Rock. It was their first radio single. Yeah. Which is weird. A lot of people... Right, I know. Super weird. <laughs> weird song to push. Was, a, that this was being played on the radio, because also it's a four and a half minute long song. And it's a song the band didn't even really care for. I mean, they had dropped it from their set lists. They, they thought it was... They didn't even really care for it, but K-Rock picks it up and they're getting all these requests for it. Uh, and this is in 1995. This is like years and years later. <laughs> Must have been so weird for them to be like, what? That one? That song? Yeah. I'm curious what your thoughts are, though, because I I think I kind of like the Jaw Don't Pay the Bills uh, version of it better because it's a little bit mm. faster. Um, I think yeah. It's pretty fun when it's that fast. I like the, uh, the tempo on the demo. Yeah. I like that a little bit better. This song, you know, it's musically, it's great. Like I said, I like that nod to the Sonics. I like the music part, but a song about rape doesn't really sit comfortably Not for at me all. on a record. I like to throw on during summer drives. Like I said earlier, this was for me a big car record. I would throw this one on and, you know, yeah, or whatever. And uh, I, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I understand the sentiment because I think... I mean, the story I've heard about the song is that Bradley was at a bar and he heard mm. some old dude who was getting drunk say that line um, yeah. that I don't even want to say. But um, yeah, right. like he heard a guy say it and he was like, that's the saddest thing I've ever heard. That's so this. And then he wrote a song about what would happen to this guy, like what he hoped ha mm. would happen to this guy. And I still think it was uh, weird. It's still weird um it's it's weird and it uses i mean it uses the subject for entertainment which is the first bummer about it and then yeah. the second big bummer about it is you know you get to the end and the offender's punishment is to have the same thing happen to him in jail so yeah. it's like 
so we're gonna we're gonna respond to this with this it's like responding to violence with violence it's like responding to hate with hate responding to rape with rape it's just i don't know you no, know, it's like it's if in it's, the song uh, they were like really anti-rape or something. Then I'd be like, all right, you know. But I think I something. think that's what Bradley thought he was doing, and it failed. If that yeah. makes sense, I think I think he thought he was doing that um, by right. saying like a rapist yeah, deserves the worst. Uh, yeah, but yeah. it was uh, poor execution, I think, lyrically. Right. Yeah, and it's like you know, it's it's a bummer that he's gone. It's a it's a real bummer that he doesn't have the opportunity to speak for a lot of this music and make more great music. But yeah, this probably would have been the kind of thing where if an interviewer had asked him about it, he would have been like, "Well, I was trying to do this," and yeah. you know, it, was, it didn't didn't, yeah. didn't happen. <laughs> I do uh, really enjoy the Fishbone cover of it, though. Yeah. <laughs> yes, Fishbone do an excellent cover of the song. Yeah, it's. I think it, the, the, that's another weird thing that this is like the, one of their most the most covered Sublime songs that everyone will sing. Yeah. Like Pepper did a version of it, which was weird. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Speaking of great covers, the next song is Hope. Hope is a cover of the Descendants song, Hope, from Milo Goes to College. And this is just a classic Descendants tune. Uh, the band play it straightforward. Uh, but, I, you know, I, I want them to do it differently, but I love the fact that they, they play it so well and it sounds so good. It's great. It's just like, I mean, you and I both are pretty big Descendants fans from what I know. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. We've talked about that before and it's... Um, it's another one that is like, dang, this is just fun. It's not the yeah. Descendants and Sublime doing it their way, but it's so fun. And it's just a good song. I mean, it's like it's almost kind of like a cheat. Like we're <laughs> yeah. we're gonna throw an awesome song. It's yeah. like it's already been established as being awesome on our fourth side. And also, and, like, you know, why why the hell not? The Descendants had to have liked it pretty pretty much. Like they had to have liked it a lot, especially to a approve the cover and b like. Um, on that on that uh, Sublime Tribute album, go back and play it, play it, their song that Sublime covered, giving credit to Sublime and not themselves. <laughs> yeah, that's like a that's a huge compliment. Yeah. definitely, definitely. Yeah, and again, I think this was just a chance for them to pay homage to the stuff they loved. You know, yeah. this is probably a song they played live a lot or in the in the practice space, and they just loved it. And they're like, let's throw it on the record. <laughs> Yeah, I'm a big fan. All right, so the next song proper uh, is KRS One. The album winds down with two softer acoustic songs. The first is titled KRS-One after the rapper Chris Parker. Obviously, you know, KRS-One was heavily influential, heavily influential on this band. I mean, he is just like all over this thing. (laughs) I mean, he was at one point the considered like the greatest rapper of all time. 
He was really mm-hmm. up there at his prime and, you know, Sublime takes so much influence from hip hop that people don't realize and KRS one really they shout out to a lot. And now they finally give him his own song. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and they had to. And I, and I think that's great because like we were saying earlier, you know, hopefully Sublime turned people on to some bands like Bad Religion and maybe the Descendants and maybe the Toys. I don't know. But to be able to like send KRS-One out there too. I mean, he's a great artist I and mean, he was known for crossing styles a lot. Yeah. And I mean, lyrically, I mean, he was known for a lot of social commentary in his songs. He just had a lot of important stuff to say. And and so to, to pay respects to him like that was pretty awesome. Yeah. And it's a, and it's a nice slow song and it, I think it kind of shows you that them crossing not singing a, a, a song that's in their like traditional standard um, aligning with like, you know, it's kind of, we can, we can play something in a different style a little bit, just like mm-hmm. you can. Yeah. It's cool. It's just like a, like an acoustic rap. I mean, it almost sounds like he's rapping when he says dropping history with a whole leap of style and intelligence. Yes, I know. I know because KRS one, it's like singy songy, but it's also kind of like, like he's rapping a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's pretty fun. Got some clips in there. The schoolhouse rock clip there. <laughs> um, I guess the damn tough part comes from, it's like a sample of a sample, like DJ Jazzy, Jeff and the fresh Prince sampled it. Huh. <laughs> and then sublime used their sample. <laughs> I don't know if that's a way to like get around clearing it or or what, but I just thought that was interesting. That's awesome. After that song, we get the Melodians cover of Rivers of Babylon. By the rivers of Babylon, where he sat down, and where he went, when he remembered Zion. It's great. It's yeah, great. I like this. This is a nice closer. It's a nice closer, and I think I also just want to add that the Melodians, you know, sang it as a song first, but it's like the song is comes from like a bunch of Bible verses. Mm, um, yeah. A bunch of Bible verses that like by the rivers of Babylon where we sat down and I, Sublime secularizes it because they changed the Lord to King Alpha um mm, in, yeah. the, in the lyrics and i thought that was really <laughs> dope because it's like not giving credit to the lord <laughs> and it's but it's yeah. such a beautiful poem almost I, I i i was a big fan of that yeah that's really cool and it's such a beautiful song and it's interesting to note that jack manis is singing along with brad that's the other voice you hear um he also played guitar on it jack would eventually go on to play keyboard for the long beach dub all-stars i don't know if you ever got into them oh yeah and they were great i loved i loved their uh second record that they put out was so good i love a lot of their music but they're my the one song that i'll always listen to by them is their cover of take warning yeah yeah (laughs) that was on a comp i had yeah yeah it was on the op ivy tribute comp and it's so good Oh, right. Yes. Yes. That's the one. Yeah, just a cool song. Great way to wind it down. You have this, you know, this communal, like they're all singing. It sounds like it's the end of the night, you know, the end of the party. This whole record just felt like a live jam, like party. 
And at the end, it's like winding down. You've got a few people still hanging out and they're like singing this song and like arms around each other. I mean, that's the vibe I always picked up from it. And I just like the way it kind of winds it all down. Yeah. And then we get into that last track. That's funny that it's a track. (laughs) Yeah. And then, so you think the record's over. You're like, I've been listening to this thing for well over an hour. Then you get like an audio thank you list. Which is so funny. I don't. I can't think of any other bands. I mean, I know they got the idea from like Ice Cube or something, but it's also yeah. so long. He just keeps it's talking. So he just keeps also going. That's Miguel. He does all the talking. He's thanking everybody. And if you've ever like gone through it, I mean, they just—it's like they're just thanking everybody they can possibly think of. Yeah, they're the thanking bands, the bands the that crew. they cover, but then they thank like Fugazi just for yeah. being influence <laughs> and. But this is what, uh, and I Frank like butthole surfers and Frank Zappa, like, like, yeah. not even people that are on the samples or anything, just like, and talking to them too, like saying thanks, Catherine, what's up, how are you? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think I've only listened to this thing through probably once when I first got the album. I was like, oh, what's this? This is cool. Who are they talking about? And then for the second time in my whole life, just the other day when I was like, all right, I got to listen to it again and prep for the, the podcast. It's, but It's ridiculous. And some of it's funny because it's <laughs> like, like this one is the one that I think is the weirdest is like uh, up to Jimi Hendrix to beer to the Sonic Lizard, the rape man from the bar. And the guy <laughs> who said that comment, he says, thank you to the rape man, which also is weird. He shouldn't be thanking that guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and then, he, guy. yeah, like that's that's like really just anything like chili. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, they're just throwing whatever yeah. they could think of in there. <laughs> and it's cool that they've got the Clash's Armageddon Time music going on in the background, yeah. <laughs> which is actually a cover uh, of Willie Williams. And... Uh, I don't know. I just thought that was kind of kind of crazy, kind of cool that they did this thank you. I mean, I, I don't want to listen to it, but <laughs> it's fun. It's, it's kind of cool. It's fun, yeah. but yeah, it's more fun to read through once really quickly. <laughs> I want to do like a punk record where the last track is just like a speed and fast like punk, uh, you know, rhythm and I'm just like yelling thank yous over the top. That's what I want to do. Now, I want to see someone do a cover of this song, but have it yeah. with, uh, a minute 30 seconds. Do it live. Hey, this is a cover of Thanks by Sublime. <laughs> yeah, my favorite Sublime song, Thanks. <laughs> People would be heading for the exits. Yeah. All right, Ben, let's take a quick look at the album art for this record. The art was done by Opie Ortiz, the singer for Long Beach Dub All-Stars. Uh, that's actually his face. That's him on Robin the Hood, uh, the band's follow-up record to this one. And uh, yeah, just a beautiful piece of art. It's got um, tattoo design, right? It's tattoo design. Yeah, it's got a lot in there. You've got like the skeleton guy in the middle making up the nose, the devil. You got like a skeleton fish. Got a peace sign in there, a switchblade knife, and it's all kind of like centered on this egg. And you've got like the <laughs> the sperm around it forming, you know, the rays of the sun. And it's just, uh, it's cool. I always like this. I'm a big fan. OPRTs is, uh, in addition to being the singer and drawing that, I mean, he was a pretty, pretty well-known tattoo artist. Um, Yeah. And so he did the sublime tattoo on 
on Bradley's back that's on the cover right. titled. And that's so he drew tattoo, this, yeah. he had drawn this uh, as a tattoo for Bradley, mate, I think Bradley, but I think it's just mm-hmm. like, it was cool. And they're like, yeah, you're good at art and you're our friend. Let's make that <laughs> album cover. <laughs> make our cover. We've done everything else for free, basically. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, it's a great cover. I, I love that cover. The back of the record, you get a shot of Lou Dog, the famous dog belonging to Bradley Noel. This is the dog that would roam the stage while the band would play and was really Brad's soulmate in life. I mean, this dog went everywhere yeah. Brad went. Yeah, I mean, the saddest thing in the world is the, I mean, I guess the music video is pretty sad. Um, that they made for was it bad fish um oh santeria santeria yeah where yeah the dogs oh, looking no. around for him and oh, no. but the the story is like when they found his body after he od after he passed away he was on the beach in california and and lou dog had just been like licking him trying to wake him up for hours yeah um yeah yeah, that's a, a a devastating story. Yeah, he went down to watch the waves. He was excited about the beach. He was trying to wake everybody up. Hey, come check out this sunset with me. Come check out the waves. It's beautiful here. And nobody would get up. Everybody was hungover and just did that last hit and, you know, lost his life. And Lou Dog was curled up at his feet in the hotel room. And, yeah, just a very, very sad story. Yeah. But the dog was uh, pretty pretty well known and also pretty notorious i guess ludog bit a lot of people <laughs> yeah that's funny um but you know he was an official member of the band too yeah definitely <laughs> you talk about the art on the cd also yeah the um, guy who's that who's that guy i'm not sure but it's those like blue faces right right yeah it's a guy with a pipe or something I, i've seen like I've seen that sticker around, and I don't know if it's like a, a sticker yeah, of the guy, the sublime, it's the guy with the pipe. Yeah, or if the sticker came first and they grabbed it for the art. I, I don't know. I was wondering who that guy was. In closing, 40 Ounces to Freedom is a compilation, really, comprised of tracks the band had recorded for Job Won't Pay the Bills, some new songs, songs with Ross MG on drums, and a handful of covers, and purposefully, it plays like a mixtape blending styles, but also jumping from one to another. I found this album looking for a song I liked on another album, but I'm glad I found it. I never really got into Robin the Hood or self-titled, so for me, all roads point back to 40 Ounces to Freedom. It's a true achievement by three dudes from Long Beach. It's not perfect, in fact, far from it. It has many faults, but rather than write the band off or stop listening to the music, I hope these songs initiate conversations, like we're doing today. It's an album with a fascinating backstory, and I feel like we covered most of it today. Ben, it's just an album I love to throw on summer afternoons, sitting on the beach, driving to my car, whatever, man, sipping a beer. (laughs) Classic. Me too. I mean, I just think for me, it's such a, you know, it was such a gateway album into the rest of my, like, life as a music lover and a punk lover and ska, reggae, hip-hop lover as like those being the things I listen to most of the time um, really, really opened a lot of doors for me in terms of like learning and listening for a long time. 
I my old car before I was in a car accident. And, um, my old car didn't have like Bluetooth, um, like these new ones. Now my car does, but um, my old car was a 2002, I think. So when uh, I had CDs still from middle school, and that's all I would listen to when I drove around. Um, I had like four CDs. I had 40 Ounces to Freedom, which was on heavy rotation with Operation Ivy's album and like Suicide Machine self-titled, I think. And those were like the three that I would rotate between. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Different flavors. Different flavors, but same bass. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Well, Ben, I would like to thank you so much for plowing through these 22 tracks with me today. (laughs) Thanks, man. I really, really enjoyed it. This was fun. Also, a big thank you to Mr. May for handing (laughs) Ben that CD back in math class all those years ago. I'd like to thank all my classmates in high school for getting the album wrong, telling me a song I was looking for was on 40 Ounces to Freedom because they inadvertently pointed me to a record that I would really go on to enjoy. So, thanks, guys. I'd like to thank Thrasher Magazine. I'd like to thank SublimeSTP.com, a great website to go to if you want to find all the samples and references uh, that are throughout Sublime's catalog. They've got all the albums up there. It's amazing. If you want to kill an hour or two, head to SublimeSTP.com. Amazing. I'd like to thank the LA Weekly and uh, the Sublime documentary that's on YouTube. I don't know where to credit that from. I think it came from Skunk. Anyway, thanks to all those places. Thanks to Krista Makes from Less Than Jake for the theme music. And lastly, I would like to thank all of you for tuning into Talking Records. It is such a fun thing to do, to just sit around and talk to friends about fantastic records, chat about songs, just try to gather up everything we can and stick it in this neat little podcast here for you. Check us out on the socials. Please say hello. Suggest albums. Tell us how you found Sublime. Ben, anything before we go? Nothing else. Thank you so much for having me today, Jed. This was awesome. I had a lot of fun. Absolutely. I appreciate you coming on. Thanks. Very cool. Later, man. All right, man. Bye. Bye.